Welcome to St. Athanasius Podcast. Uh, today we're going to be interviewing the Law Stones. All right, this is uh, Caleb and Sarah Lawstone. We'll be having a conversation with them. They have a pretty unique story. They're parishioners at St. Athanasius Church, and so uh, I just wanted to sit down with them and uh, get to know uh, their story, put it out there, and hopefully it'll be edifying to uh, the body, to the listeners and viewers. So, uh, Caleb, Sarah, thank you for uh, being on. And um, yeah, I guess if you could tell us uh, who you are, um, maybe tell us uh, who's with us today and, and, and uh, a bit about your family and your children and your background and particularly your background in the church and uh, your walk with the Lord. Um, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, all right. I'm Caleb Lawstone. This is my wife, Sarah. We have six kids. We have Colette, Ezekiel, Eloise, Josiah, Adelaide, and Sophia. Yeah, we grew up in the same church together as your pretty typical non-denominational church. If you want to tell the parts where before I come in, just your background, and then I'll tell my background, then I'll tell the story of when we actually came together. Um, we, I grew up in church, and you know, parents were taking me to church every week. But it's just like, you know, knowing all the Bible stories and doing that, but then go home and it's just basically you can't tell our family from any other family other than we don't swear, we yell at each other. But just kind of growing up kind of wishy-washy about it. And then when I came to be a teenager, I had like very worldly I guess just doing whatever normal teenagers do, sneaking out, skipping school, doing all the wild child things. Typical teenager. Come at this guy. We're a little wild together. <laughs> okay. All right. So, uh, so you eventually met Caleb, and at this point, I guess. Um, are you uh, are you going to church? Are you uh, you said it's kind of this cultural Christianity that you're growing up in? Uh, where where are you at when you meet Caleb? And then um, and then Caleb, you can tell us where you're at. We we were what, 17, mm-hmm. um, so I think we were going like occasionally on the weekends. Go to the youth group. Go to gone to the church camp a few times, but yeah, not really anything i don't know that i would have even called myself a christian at that point okay yeah yeah so i guess i'll start back at my beginning um i started going to the church that um sarah grew up in when i was about three before that um we'd gone to like a brother in church um kind of thing and then some of the family members started going to this church at the time it was called a word of faith and then shortly after we joined, they changed it to uh, change the name, kind of moved away from the word of faith movement. People in there were getting a little bit crazy, yeah. you know, but it was, you know, the what you think of when you think non-denominational church, you know, the, they act Baptist without the really hard Baptist tendencies. Um, it's um, like you said, kind of a cultural Christianity, not really like a distinctly Christian environment. It's just a place for people to go that believe in God. 
right? Yeah. Um, I was a little bit more involved with things that were going on in the church than, than Sarah was. I did a couple of missions trips to Mexico. I was pretty involved in the youth group up until the point when my mom and dad got a divorce. Um, and that sort of threw a wrench in all of our, our church goings on and, and pretty much life in, in general. Um, my mom took us kids. We moved in with our grandparents and it was kind of a hassle to get to church regularly at that point. We didn't join any kind of church that was closer to where they lived. And so it was sort of sporadic at that point. Um, and that's a, around that time, trying to figure all of that on, as you know, the normal parents getting divorced, parents getting remarried stuff. Um, it's where I, I walked away from, from any kind of activity as far as, as my faith would, would be concerned. I would, I would consider myself like a backslider or uh, not a final apostate, but in apostasy. Mm -hmm. um, I still believed in God. I would still confess that there's only one God, you know. Yeah. I would still say that Jesus died for my sins, but I was in that point where like, you ask people, well, if you die, you know, are you gonna go to heaven? I'd be like, well, I hope so. Mm -hmm. But but my life, if I was looking at it, I'd be like, but probably not. Okay. Um, so I, I wasn't deluded or anything like that. I didn't go into the whole like atheistic evolution train or anything like that. Yeah. I was uh, in full knowledge, rebelling against my God. Yeah. Um, and I went fairly hard. I didn't get into like hard, hard drugs, but I mean, alcohol, sleeping around, you know, the whole, the whole uh, rebellious teenager motif. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, going, still going through that when I met Sarah, so I was still backsliding. I wouldn't say she was a Christian, and that's only because I'll, I'll get to that part in a little bit. But <laughs> um, So we met each other. It was one of those, like, love at first sight stories. Mm -hmm. um, and I think God was using that sort of to give me some sort of responsibility in his, in his plan to call me back. Um, there was a point where I would definitely say this was the action that God used to bring me back. But looking back now, I can I can sort of see where he was using the wife that he was going to give me to kind of prepare me for this uh, this reconverting back to a repenting uh, story that he would do. So um, Sarah and I. Uh, we still had those, we were still haunted by like moralistic Christianity, right? So we, she moved in with me in my apartment in Grand Rapids. And I remember we were like, oh no, we, we moved in together. We're not supposed to do that. <laughs> right. So we're like, oh no, we, we screwed up. We need to get married. And so we actually did just get eloped. <laughs> we were like, we were, we were being convicted of the sin or, or haunted by that background. However, however you want to frame it. But uh, one day we were just like, oh, we need to get married now. And so I remember calling my mom and saying, hey, what are you doing at four o'clock? She goes, well, I'm at work. I said, well, you should leave early because I'm getting married. <laughs> she yeah. was very last minute. I had to have my cousin break into our apartment to get our, uh, our marriage certificate or something. We didn't have everything we needed because it was such a rush job. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we showed up at the courthouse and they're like, well, you don't have everything you need to get married yet. We're like, we'll have it in an hour, hold on. Okay. Um, 
got married. Uh, <laughs> I got a job back into the town that we sort of grew up around in, in which would be Hastings. I grew up around it and then in it, Sarah grew up her whole life there. Michigan, this is Michigan. In Hastings, Michigan. And um, so we, we bought a house, got a job there, and then we had our first child. Um, and my sister had come up to visit us. We were in Grand Rapids and we had had these friends when we were in Grand Rapids that we were pretty close with. And I was sitting at La Bella Bistra and he called me and I didn't even know. I knew so many Andrews. It was just Andrew on my phone. Okay. So I answered it. I said, hello. And he says, hey, Caleb, is this you? I said, yeah, who's this? He says, Andrew. I said, you know, you got to be a little more specific. <laughs> And he says, uh, I, I used to live in an apartment building with you. I was like, oh, man, I haven't seen you in a year. How's it going and everything? And he says, "I'm where are you at? I told him I was at the La Bella Bistra. My sister was up from Florida. We were having dinner. And he said, uh, well, I'm at this Burger King just a mile down the road from you. Would you mind meeting me? I, I want to talk to you and catch up a little bit. So we just got up from the table. We're like, okay, goodbye, family. <laughs> we'll see you all back at the house. And we, uh, we went to this Burger King. And... He asked us about our life, how things were going, the new baby and all of that, normal stuff. We just sort of told him everything that happened, you know, large details. And then he laid out this story about how he had been pretty radically converted um, and what he had been doing since he had been converted. And God used that to basically uh, hold up a mirror to my life. And I was like, what, what have I done? You know, like, I've shipwrecked my faith. Here's this guy, you know, we were pretty good friends, sort of close, and and he's just done a complete 180. And now it was like every single day this guy was, you know, being discipled, reading the scriptures, doing street evangelism. He was just really working it. And um, and you could tell it was just genuine faith. Like he truly loved Christ. And I was like, well, yeah, I would still believe in God, but you know, look at my life, look at what I've what I've done. I've I've walked away. And so um So Andrew's Andrew's conversion story, God working in him his life, uh immediately affected what gave conviction to your own kind of state of, of walking with the Lord or walking yeah. away from the Lord. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was at the time I described it as God picked me up out of my body, shook me like a rag dial, and like threw me down. Mm -hmm. And I was like nearly mute for three days where I was just like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think it was uh, Andrew's story being being from having your background um, where, where evangelicals love conversion stories? You would have heard these kinds of things, but was it just because yeah. you knew him personally or or what? And, and maybe I might be jumping the gun with some, <laughs> some of these things. Yeah, no, I mean. Like the reasons for why. Yeah, happened, I would. You know? I would probably just say, you know, the wind blows where it wills. Yeah, okay. it's, right, yeah. There was nothing particular about it. He didn't even call us to repentance. Okay. He was just like, just telling his story. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't, he, he didn't require anything of us. Yeah. It was just his sincere love for Christ yeah. that really struck me. Um, looking back on it, like I could have done with a little bit of calling to repentance, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but um but no, it wasn't anything particular about the story or, or how he presented it or anything. Um, I would say that everything there was just how God was going about 
bringing about my repentance and, and coming back to him, like even leaving La Bella Bistra is kind of an expensive place for us. We, we wouldn't usually eat out at places like that. Leaving the table is not a normal thing. Yeah. My sister was not visiting very frequently from Florida. And so we were trying to spend as much time with her as we could while she was in Michigan. Okay. But this guy just calls and instead of saying, you know, oh, well, right now is a really bad time. Can we catch up later? Hey, hit me up on Facebook. Yeah. We just got up and left the table. Like even that's really weird. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad that it happened. But it's kind of like one of those inscrutable things where I, even now I can't really puzzle out any of the particulars. It just did. Yeah, that's I awesome. remember uh, when you told me. Like, we're driving in the car. I can remember you're driving. We're going down Green Street. And I'm like, where is this coming from? And you're just like, okay. <laughs> she like, thought that I was, I I was going a little bit crazy. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, let's let's see what's going to happen here. <laughs> yeah, I think she kind of thought that uh, it would be one of those things where I got excited and then, like, because we had seen people in church do this all the time. They would get excited about Jesus again, and then it would like peter out, yeah. and they'd just go back to their normal life. Right. And she was kind of expecting that to happen. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So God picks you up, shakes you out, smashes you down. You're kind yeah. of at this point where things are, where God's moving in your life. So what what happens next going forward? Yeah, so... Um, Got some really good advice right away that I think helped put me on the right track. Um, I had all of these questions. Um, we had started reading, I had started reading my Bible. I had all these questions. I was told, you know, just read the Bible straight through. Write down any questions that you have as you're reading through it. Any questions that get answered while you're reading it, cross out, and then read the Bible through again. Okay. And if your question, you still have questions at that point, then go ask people <laughs> about it. This, by the way, um, is really great advice. I've, I've given countless people this advice since then. Yeah. And I really think that it, it headed off so many errors where I would fall into like just certain people's interpretations or traditions yep. or anything like that. And it really solidified my commitment to now I would say always reforming, yeah. right? Always take all of your thoughts, all of your opinions, bring them to the scripture and then have the opinions change. Yeah. Don't twist the Bible into fitting what your opinions and presuppositions are. Always be changing your theology yeah. to what the scriptures say. It might not have looked at it at the beginning, but I, I really attribute a lot of um, my escaping certain pitfalls to, to that advice. So I started reading the Bible fanatically. Um, <laughs> it was, there was a, a period at the beginning where I, I looked like some kind of crazy monk where I was just like eating my food and still like reading the Bible. I was like, cause I just couldn't stop. Yeah. Um, and you know, that caused a lot of problems because I was, I was very curious. I asked, I guess, pointed questions. Um, and anytime somebody would say something, I would bring it right back to the Bible. Well, the Bible says this, mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of the times I was just, especially in the very beginning, very curious and saying, you know, well, how does this work with this Bible passage? But people were always taking it as like an attack that I was saying that they weren't being scriptural. Um, 
And, you know, it turns out a lot of the time they weren't. And yeah. so like they were just <laughs> feeling convicted by that. And so they're being defensive. But I, that was kind of hard for me. I got very confused. Why are these Christians reacting like this? I just want to talk about the Bible kind of stuff. Yeah, so that caused quite a bit of uh, friction between myself and these other Christians that you know I basically grew up with. They were my, my church family for a big chunk of, of my early life. Um, and um, I guess we were about s almost six months into that when um, I started, that was like the first time I started thinking about baptism mm -hmm. and the significance of baptism. And so I, I asked the wife, I said, you know, have you ever been baptized? And she hadn't. And that's why I would say, you know, that when we got married, that she wasn't a Christian. She had never been baptized. Right. Um, and my, my typical impatient kind of personality, jump in two feet first, uh, <laughs> exhibited itself. And I was at work. I asked anybody at work if they wanted to be baptized. And then we went down a group of three people <laughs> to the river. Okay. Uh, the Methodist church happened to be baptizing the same day. Oh, and wow. so they went and they did their baptisms and they had uh, like a hot dog truck and elephant ears. And like they just made a big kind of party out of it. Okay. And then as soon as they got done doing their baptisms, we walked down into the river and I baptized Sarah and two other girls from, from my workplace. Wow. And then the Methodists were like, oh, did we miss some? We're like, no, we're just here <laughs> hanging out. And uh, we're like, you know, you guys are Christians, we're Christians, we're just, you did baptisms, we're doing baptisms and stuff. And they said, come and have hot dogs with us. Okay. And so we ended up being able to join the party <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then, so maybe, maybe if you could kind of start talking about, um, getting back into church life and going through that, uh, uh, journey from, uh, your childhood church, which is, that's what you eventually went back to initially. Yeah. Yep. And then, and then, um, your movement out of that and where you eventually landed, uh, in Michigan. And then, uh, and then we can go from there. Okay. Yeah. So after, after being repented and starting to read the Bible, our immediate thing was we needed to get back to going to church. And so it was right after we had gotten the house and moved back to Hastings, we started going to that church that we grew up in. Um, so those are the people that I would be having like these kinds of weird conversations with about, you know, this is the kinds of things that kind of as a culture inside the church, we believe and we do, but are these things scriptural? And so there's a, when you grow up in a church, you just sort of assume all of the, the traditions in the church, right? Um, you think these things are coming from the Bible. This is Christianity. You know, these are the reasons why we're doing all of these things. You don't really, um, start off with the tools of saying, no, well, we are a church that's inside of a greater culture and we're, we're inside this larger world and that worldliness is affecting the church. And so um, growing up, I just had all of these things that I assumed were biblical things. And now that I was fanatically reading the scriptures, I was like, well, no, that's not good. We shouldn't keep doing that. But it wasn't a 
an environment where it was okay to point those things out or to question those things. It was a, you know, don't touch the Lord's anointed kind of environment where it's like, how dare you question these things? Um, and so, yeah, it just started. And these are not fine points of theological abstract doctrine that you were pointing out. No, it's things like even in your own book of, well, I would call it a book of church order, but it, their own handbook or whatever, it says you shouldn't serve if you're fornicating. And it's like, well, these people are fornicating, you know, even according to your rules, shouldn't they not be, yeah. you know, in any kind of like ministry position? Right, right. <laughs> and they're like, oh yeah, we got we got to change that. And so they actually were editing. That was the kind of like our final straw moment, but <laughs> or they wanted to edit the, the church book instead of telling these fornicators not to yeah. do instead of editing their lives. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So there's, there's kind of very obvious, um, immorality happening that you were pointing out. These are coming into conflict, which is, it's, it's interesting because from this church, you were given the advice to read through scripture and yeah, sort of, it was, um, it was a family member that they gave me the advice, but he was licensed through this church. Okay. But there wasn't any kind of it wasn't it wasn't super organized okay. as far as um, like I said, like a book of church order or something. They had a handbook. They had these general things. I think it was but application. yeah, there there wasn't um, like a confessional standard yeah. to go by. Um, it was just whatever it was that we as a church were doing at the time. Okay. Kind of thing. So if they, so these things are starting to come into conflict. Yeah. You're reading the scriptures, what you're seeing happening in your church. Right. Um, yeah, it, I was, at the time that everything came to a head, I was really involved in the youth group and the church camp stuff. Um, I was helping out with an, another guy and I were really trying to get like men's Bibles, tie a men's group kind of thing started. And so other, I was working, doing church stuff, barely even like at my house, you know, Sarah and I were basically just always doing work or church stuff. Um, so I would, I would say I was pretty involved, but then these things started coming into conflict and that sort of just pushed me out of all of those, those areas. Okay. Um, we, that being pushed out, you, were you removing yourself or were you being removed? It was, it was a bit of both. There were things that we still wanted to do to serve, but because we were coming in conflict with, in these other areas, there were things where we were like, well, we can't do that because of this. And so we would, we would walk away from, from that area, but then like Sarah still really wanted to be in the nursery. So we still really wanted to help doing those things. But they had this really, she had to go to the church service uh, at least 50% of the time, right? So you had to go and listen to the sermon 50% of the time in order to be in the nursery. And Sarah's like, well, I still want to be in the nursery, but they were going through a series that was just awful at the time. And so we just didn't want to go. Okay. Um, they were, was it at the time they were going through soul going shift? Through, I think that was, yeah. yeah. I was like, what book so, is this? this is the, just one of those typical evangelical things where they go through a book. Instead of a book of the Bible, they go through some book that one of their writers in their circles have written. Okay. And this stuff is being preached from the pulpit. Yeah. 
And it was so awful that we just couldn't stand it. And rather than sitting there with grumpy clouds over our heads the whole time, we were like, well, we'll just wait until this series is over, okay. you know? And uh, they took umption with that. So they told Sarah she couldn't be in the, um, in the nursery anymore. And that was the last thing that she was involved in. And then that summer they told me I wasn't able to be a camp counselor anymore. And that was the last commitment that I had with them. And so we were just like, all right, well, I guess we're done here. <laughs> so we went on the search to try to find a different church. Okay. Um, Sarah and I have differing ideas about how long this time period was. To me, it seemed like years. How long did you say that you thought it was? Like a month or two. Yeah, she, she thinks it was a short period of time. I think it was forever. <laughs> but we visited um, nearly every church that was in Hastings. Yeah. We didn't want to drive a half an hour or 45 minutes to a church. We were very concerned sure. about finding a local church. And um, yeah, we were just, it had to have been more than a month because we went to this Baptist that was leaning Reformed Church at least twice. And that was one of I like six churches I that I took you with me for. Longer. What? You you went, you were also with the track at that point. Yeah. So like, I went to TBC a little bit longer. Okay. Then you're like, well, I don't want to go there anymore, but if you're going to continue. Right, yeah, I do remember that. So I, I told Sarah, I wasn't going to tell her we can't go to that church anymore. Um, I said, you could keep going while I look for these other churches. So there are a lot of churches that I visited that I didn't bring Sarah with me. Oh, she was right. still that going to TVC yeah. and I was talking to these pastors, these elders and, and working through all of this stuff. This is about the time that I learned that confessions were a thing. Yeah. <laughs> are, where, where is, um, so the scriptures are dis disruptive to all of this, but also uh, where in this time frame? I know that um, listening to John Piper, John MacArthur was, mm -hmm. was pivotal in a lot of ways. Uh, at what, where is that in this time frame? It, we're about right there. Okay. So, um, so we had our second child and then... We because we were pregnant when we started before. Yep, so we had our second child and then um, I started driving a truck and it was not too long, maybe three or six months when I was in the truck that um, I heard John Piper on the Sirius XM for the first time. Okay. And this was kind of my introduction into the, the greater movement of the young restless reformed. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know reformed was a thing. <laughs> like I said, it was a little bit after this that I found out that confessions were, were even a thing. Um, I had heard the terminology deeds, not creeds. Okay. But I guess I didn't quite get what they meant. I knew what the Apostles' Creed was. I knew what the Nicene Creed was. Yeah. And I thought that was just something that everybody just believed. I didn't think you needed to like have it on your website or something like that. Yeah. I was like, well, this is just Christians believe these things about God, right? right? But I didn't know that there were particular confessions that divided out. I knew de denominations were a thing. And I knew that um, there were particular writings on certain denominations that set them apart. Yeah. But I thought it was just like these people tended to think these things. And if you tend to think those things, then you go to one of those kinds of churches. Yeah. Um, so I was driving a truck with my grandpa. Um, I, he had Sirius XM. So I started listening to that to keep myself busy while I was driving down the road. So we bought John Piper's series going through the book of Romans on Audible. And I listened to it basically straight through. Okay. Um, I was driving 10 hours a day. It was a 90 hour series. I think it was just over two weeks 
by the time that I took John Piper, I think three, three and a half years <laughs> to preach through the book of Romans. Yeah. And I listened to it in the time span of, of, I think it was 15 days. It was just over. I had to finish it a little bit on home time to get through it. And then um, right after that, I got a series on Hebrews. And then I finished that in a week. <laughs> I even, also from John Piper. Yeah. So in the, in the span of, of uh, less than a month, I had listened to John Piper preach through Romans and preach through Hebrews. And I think that it was during Hebrews that I, that I figured out that I was Calvinist. Like, <laughs> I remember it was 11 o'clock at night and uh, I called my mom and I said, hey, mom, Jesus didn't die savingly for everybody. He didn't die for everybody the same way. And she was just like, I don't want to talk about this right now. Do you know what time it is? <laughs> she got off the phone with me. But I think it was at some point during the book of Hebrews where I, I realized like, yeah, definite atonement is what makes sense. You know, these things are being worded in like a systematic way that these questions that I had been bringing up, these, this, this guy is answering a lot of those questions yeah. um, and doing so in a way that's consistent. Um, so, yeah, I... I'd say I probably went full on, you know, cage stage, hyper Calvinist right away. Um, John Piper is, says he's a reformed Baptist. So that's what I affiliated with. Cause this was the guy that kind of like, he was my gateway drug into the reformed world. Yeah. Um, Could you, um, you'd said something to me before that, that struck me. Um, could you contrast Piper with what you were receiving with your home church, what was it that, besides the Calvinistic stuff, what was it that really struck a chord with you that sounded different from what you had been brought up with? Yeah, so the the church that we grew up in didn't really have a strong doctrine of like suffering. Yeah. Um, if there was any pain, you were always praying to get out of the pain. And John Piper specifically is really good on on the goodness of suffering. Yeah. Um, so I mean, anybody that's ever had any actual suffering <laughs> um, when you are in a church where it's like you know happy clappy stuff almost all the time, and it's almost like you are afraid to share, you know, your struggles in a certain sense because it's like, oh well, you know, you need to be happy. Um, to hear John Piper preach on it is very, um, bracing. <laughs> He's, um, yeah, so I was really drawn to that idea of picking up your cross and following Christ to death, like even yeah. full on martyrdom. Is that resonating? You're reading through the scriptures. When you were reading through the scriptures, was that kind of already coming out and Piper just nails at home? Or, I mean, sometimes a, a minister or a word will be spoken and then it comes out more in scripture. Mm. Was that, what was that interaction like? Um, a little bit more like the first one. Um, so there were just a lot of these questions that I had that were going unanswered. Um, the suffering thing was one of the things that I noticed, but it wasn't my focus. Okay. Um, and there were so many things that as Piper was going through Romans and Hebrews that he was, um, answering these questions I've been asking now for for over a year 
where I had specific questions I would repeat. <laughs> and he was giving a, an answer that I couldn't say anything against. Okay. It was like, this, this has explained it, you know? And so that's what I would say drew, drew me to reformed theology was because it was like, these are the guys that have, have these answers. These are the guys that have thought these through and they're trying to reason from scripture rather than just saying, well, I think it's kind of like, yeah. it's like, I don't care what you think. Right. You know, I'm reading this in the scripture and I want to figure out what it means. Yeah. I need somebody to teach me this thing. And the reformed people um, starting off with Piper and then later on when I got into more like R.C. Sproul and greater reformed theology. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the suffering thing was just one of those things that it was bothering me. And then he, he just hammer a nail head, boom, you know, yeah. and he's, he's really tough on it. Yeah. And so, uh, from that reading forward, it did bring it out more. It's like, you know, you, now you have eyes to see it. And so it does come out a lot. I was like, see, here's another spot. You see, here's another spot. Yeah. And so that did, um, I guess, ingratiate him to me because then I started noticing it a lot. His whole thing is God's more glorified uh, in you when you are more satisfied in him. He goes on about that a lot. Yeah. And um, that was one of the things that I had not seen in scripture before. But then once Piper said it, I was like, oh yeah, like we are to be completely uh, dependent and, and satisfied in Christ. Yeah. And that's going to bring the most glory to God than, than anything. And particularly in your suffering. Yeah. If you're suffering, but you're doing so in Christ, it's not because you did wrong and now you're being you know, punished or disciplined because of your doing wrong. Right. But if you are going out and doing right and you're still suffering for it um, from one thing or another, and then you're still satisfied in God, even though they take everything from you, that's when God is... Um, that particular glorifying of God, it was just completely lacking. I've never yeah. seen anything like that before. The apostles walked away rejoicing, being thought worthy to suffer for the name. Yeah, like there's yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's good. Um, okay, so you're uh, you're uh, coming into a more kind of Calvinistic uh, bent, uh, listening to Piper, looking for a church. Mm -hmm. um, identifying more with kind of a Reformed Baptist, uh, I guess, uh, tradition. So where, what's next? So there was this Baptist church in Hastings that they quoted Piper quite a bit during the sermons. And so we were almost settling on that one. And then as we were driving home from there, we saw a sign that said, Hastings Reformed. And it was pointing towards the Barry County Commission on Aging Building. It's like, well, this one isn't even on Google Maps, right? Yeah. We were trying to make a list of the churches, go through, visit them all and everything. And uh, this one just had slipped through. It wasn't for this little kick out sign out front. We wouldn't have noticed it. So we pulled in. They had obviously finished their church and everything like that. But I wanted to ask them questions. Um, and I mean, everybody there had these big old beards. They had a fellowship meal afterwards. They're saying all of these reformed things unabashedly. It's not like, well, you know, we, we're sort of leaning reformed. We've got these reformed tendencies, but they, they specifically want to stay away from like definite atonement kind of language. Um, 
this place was just full of, nope, we're reformed, these are our confessions. And by that time I had read some of the confessions, um, the Cans of Dortrick specifically, I, I really enjoyed. I had been learning a little bit about the Westminster Confession of Faith, but because I was still identifying as like a reformed Baptist, I wasn't really uh, resonating with everything that was, was, that was in there. But um, so they had on their pamphlet, these are the things that we would follow, um, Heidelberg, catechism, that kind of stuff. And so that sort of gave me a list of these are the things that I've got to figure out. And um, yeah, and then we just, I'm not sure exactly what the decision was. It was sort of like, well, we'll try this for a little while. And then we just never left kind of thing. Um, we were pregnant with our third child at this point. And a few months into this, somebody asked us when she was born, if she was going to get baptized. And um, I was like, you guys baptize babies? <laughs> That's weird. I, I still, I guess I didn't think that it was very popular for Reformed people to baptize babies because I was so in that kind of young, restless, Reformed stuff as far as John Piper, John MacArthur. I had gotten into a little bit of Sproul, but nothing about you know his, I was more about other things of the Westminster Confession of Faith, not specifically pedo-baptism. Um, and I had, I had worked through baptism enough where I knew that it actually did something to you, but, um, I hadn't gone far enough to say that it could do something to a baby. Okay. Right. I was like, no, baptism isn't just the wedding ring to your wedding. Baptism isn't just an outward profession of faith. There's something that's actually happening here that joins you to Christ or at least Christ church. Um, it's, it's not just a mere memorial, it, it actually affects something. Um, and so that was, that was like the big, um, the big question that was put up there. Okay, so now what are we gonna do? Are we gonna stay in this Reformed Baptist world or are we going to? So you're going to a Reformed Baptist church? But... No, this was a Reformed church. Okay. Um, we were at the Baptist church okay. and then uh, we saw the sign for the Hastings Reformed Church. They were fully reformed okay. church, gotcha. uh, independently reformed at the time. They had just left the URC. Okay. Um, and there was it was people at this church who were who, who were asked asking. me if I was okay. going to baptize Eloise when she came out. I think they assumed that we had already baptized the other two. Gotcha. And they so, were asked. They were like excited. Oh, a new baby. We're going to do a baptism. And I was like, You guys do that? Right. And so like, you're, yeah, you're, we do that. You're at a church which is reformed but holds to the the traditional views of, of baptism yeah. where you baptize the whole family. Yeah. Um, and, and they ask you and it's kind of, uh, it's kind of, uh, sets you on this course of trying to figure out. Yeah. Yeah. Now the question's been posed. Right. I have to make a decision okay. now. I can't, I, I could cop out, I guess, and just be like, I ah, know, mm -hmm. but, um, I did not take it that way. I took it as I've got to actually, decide what I believe about this. I suppose as a side note, I should mention at this point, so we're still kind of like Reformed Baptist because of you know John Piper being our entry drug into Reformed theology. I'm still pretty, pretty um, pre-mill at this point too. Pretty um, pessimistic is how I think the world is, is going. Yeah. Um, and that in that same day, they also mentioned that they were, they didn't use this terminology, but they were Amel. Um, and that they thought that it was odd that I was reformed and pre-mill. 
And so now I was, I'd been given those two questions sort of at the same time, which is probably why I, I connect them together so often mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> nowadays is because I was working on them at the same time. Okay. Um, and you're also listening to guys like uh, uh, John MacArthur. Yeah, I was listening to a lot of John MacArthur at that point. Um, Could you say kind of some of the, the strengths and the, the, the ways that he edified you as well? Yeah. Um, so mostly at that point, I was listening to, like, he had a book called Slave, and I really enjoyed that. It was just basically like holiness and obedience is what I think I, I took away from all my time with John MacArthur. There were a lot of things that I leaned into that he was teaching that later I I. I would reject, mm -hmm. but um, yeah, just a lot of the the holiness, the obedience. The John Piper was very much the um, like wanting to joyfully obey Christ, yeah. and John MacArthur was very much the sometimes you're not going to enjoy it, just do it anyways <laughs> kind of yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And and sometimes you need that. Right. Um, I think that he would affirm that you know you should enjoy it. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that if you do it, that you will eventually enjoy it. Right. But he was very much on, you know, that's not an excuse. Yeah. You don't have the excuse not to obey Christ. He's our Lord. You're his slave. You know, he yeah. bought you with his blood. Right. You were in the slave market of sin. You were going to the lake of fire. Yeah. He bought you with his blood. You're his. Obey him. Yeah. And um, yeah, that was <laughs> that was also a very abrasive to you know all my friends that i that i grew up with because it's all just this love jesus try jesus you know mm -hmm. jesus meek and mild he's always kind and tender-hearted right. and to say no obey him yeah. was like works righteousness awful stuff to them yeah so um that's probably what i what i would say john MacArthur helped me out which the most isn't with. A, a problem particular to that church to your church like it's a problem endemic in the church in general, if you start talking about obedience and stuff, right. automatically works righteousness. I just got called a Pelagian from some Anglican yeah. pastor recently. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> so you're. Um, I just want to. I just want to highlight a few of those things. Uh, or, or I'm glad that you're able to, and I'm glad that those guys, particularly because we have. Uh, you and I are very similar with where we've kind of landed, um, which is very different than guys like MacArthur and Piper. But yeah. God uses those men. God uses ministers of the gospel and they have strengths. They have things to offer the church and particularly particularly the things that um, uh, were influential in your life, I think, are big strengths that they have suffering, obedience, um, yeah. uh, just kind of the, the pure distilled gospel as well. So. Yeah, I'm glad you're able to, to, to do that. Okay, so you're, uh, you're at this moment of trying to figure out baptism, <clears throat> even eschatology. Uh, what do you do going forward? Who are you reading? What are you looking at in scripture? Um, if you want to just... Yeah, so this, this would be the moment. I'm not sure if it happened before I made the, the decision on, on what I thought about baptism or if it was a result of that. But I stopped listening to John MacArthur and John Piper so much. Started really listening to R.C. Sproul. Um, and Sproul was just my guy there for quite a while. Yeah. He has a lot of material yeah. to work through. Yeah. Um, I got the book uh, Robert Shaw's commentary on the Westminster Confession of Faith. And I was working through that. Um, and, you know, baptism 
at this at this point in my mind, baptism and the Lord's Supper were so connected that that's when I also got um, help me out with the guy that wrote it. I think it was Matthew. It's John John Calvin's doctrine on the Lord's Supper. Oh, Keith Matheson. Keith Matheson. Yeah. I always try to put his last name first. Yeah. Um, given for you. Yeah. So I'm working through Robert Shaw's com uh, commentary on the Westminster Confession. Keith Matheson's book on the doctrine of the Lord's Supper, mm -hmm. and I'm looking at every YouTube debate I ever can on <laughs> baptism. Yeah. I'm just trying to figure this out. Um, I, I honestly, I didn't start reading books about baptism until I guess after, like I couldn't find any really, mm -hmm. now there, I, there are quite a few that I would recommend, yeah. but at the time I didn't have any books that was like, oh, this book is the book that I agree with. Mm -hmm. It was just, going back to it, reading it over again, going back to it, reading it over again, and then listening to these YouTube debates. Um, and I listened to the John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul debate, which, like I said, I'm not sure if I had stopped listening to John MacArthur before this or if like, it was as a result of this, listening to how they, how they went back and forth. Um, the first time that I listened to it, I became like, I stopped rejecting outright that infants could be baptized, but I hadn't made the decision that they should be baptized yet. And that's when I started really going through it. Um, but I got to 1 Corinthians 10 when I said they were all baptized, you know, into yeah. Moses. Yeah. They all ate spiritual food. They all drank spiritual drink from the rock, which was Christ. Right. And that was what, what did it for me. Um, I had listened to like John MacArthur refute the Colossians verse being like this pedo Baptist linchpin kind of thing where um, circumcision. Yeah, that connects circumcision to baptism. Yeah. Um, and then I'd listened to more on R.C. Sproul connecting circumcision to baptism. And I understood the argument that if you zoomed out that, um, you know, there was a sign of the covenant in the Old Testament and then there's a sign that and the covenant in the New Testament. And looking from the lens of the covenant, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, Doug has even said, like, you know, if you, it depends on how you frame the question. You know, Baptists frame the question as far as we only see in scripture adults being baptized kind of thing if you ignore the households. And then if you let a Presbyterian argue it from the view of a covenant, then they've got it, the stronger argument, you know, and it's a titan of an argument and all this. And I, and I saw that yeah. and I said, well, <laughs> that doesn't help me because how do I know which way to frame this argument? Yeah. You know, but then when I, when I saw that even those people who were an example to us, they came out of slavery, out of Egypt and they were baptized. Yeah. I was like, doesn't matter if it's connected with circumcision or not. Right. They were baptized, you know. And so right in that passage, I see baptism of infants because there's got to be infants and small children there that couldn't make a decision. Yeah. They didn't choose to leave Israel right. or they didn't choose to leave Egypt. They were brought out of Egypt. Right. Um, they get baptized. Um, I'm thinking, you know, these children that are done nursing, if they didn't eat the manna and they didn't drink from Christ, they would die in the desert. Mm -hmm. And that was very vivid to me. Mm -hmm. Like if, if these kids aren't taking the Lord's Supper, yeah. they're gonna die, maybe not physically like they would have, but this is an example for us. Right. They're gonna, you know, and we see all of these children from our church that we grew up with right. that are apostatizing there, making right. shipwreck their faith. We were on the brink of that and God brought us back. Yeah. You know, if, if he hadn't done that, we would have been right in that boat with them. Right. And it's like, so that I, 
I kind of remember I was sitting at the dining room table and uh, <laughs> I was like reading in the dark <laughs> and I just sit there doing my normal ob- obsessive Bible reading. You know, Sarah and the kids were, you know, in the bedroom or doing something else. And I'm just like, it just hit me really hard. And I was like, oh, man. And now I can frame it looking back that I became both a pedo Baptist and like a pedo communist. But I didn't know that that was what was happening at the time. Mm-hmm. At the time, I was just like, no, we got to baptize our babies. And um, I think it was the same night I related it to God about to kill Moses for not circumcising his kids. Yeah. I was like, I'm actually sinning because I have withheld baptism from my older children. Yeah. Um, and Yeah, I'm bad at timelines, so Sarah's got to help out. I think at this point we were pregnant with JoJo. I became okay with baptizing, and then we had Eloise, but I hadn't um, come to the point of we need to do this. We're saying if we don't do this, like people should be doing this. Mm -hmm. Um, So we ended up having Eloise, and then we were on our way to having our fourth by the time that all of this happened. for the viewers, don't worry, all of our children are really close together, so this wasn't a huge lapse of time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, so we have Jojo. He's, like she said, our oldest is five. Jojo was just born, so they all four got baptized at the same time. Okay. Um, and again, I did not know until a couple months later when I tried having my oldest, who was five, take the Lord's Supper, that what I had done as far as my transitioning from being a Reformed Baptist to being full-blown, like uh, what would later be called like a Doug Wilsonite kind of. <laughs> Pato community. Yeah. Um, I don't think, I don't think, I know we've talked about, I don't think most people think, it's been my experience when you say Pato communion, they don't think that you're like giving like little drops to infants, but I know that some people do think that, and I, yeah. even in the East they do practice that. But um, okay, so but anyway, we're kind of getting ahead. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So um, I guess you're you're at this church, you're coming mm-hmm. to these convictions, um, yeah. and you're uh, baptizing your children, and yeah. then you attempt to. Um, completely innocently because these things are connected your children are part of uh the israel of god Mm -hmm. and you uh the communion plate comes around and you give them the body and blood yeah and just the oldest i wasn't even trying to it was just the five-year-old and i had been catechizing her beforehand yeah they were kind of like doing this, uh, the nursery kind of thing. I told her if she came into the church, she listened to the sermon, she was paying attention, then she could take the Lord's Supper, started quoting Keith Matheson like crazy, (laughs) telling her about all of the wonderful things, you know, that the Lord's Supper is. And and she wanted that. And so, um, yeah, it wasn't even trying to give like a two-year-old or a three-year-old. This was a five-year-old that we have been reading the Bible to. You know, she's singing the songs. Um, she's She's got a concept even of like repentance because we were trying very hard to start having biblical language. We want a distinct Christian home. Yeah. And so we're not just saying you did a bad thing. You know, you need to not do the bad thing. We're framing it in, as far as like you need to repent of this sin. Yeah. And... Um, 
And so inside my head, like, yeah, like you said, perfectly innocent. I did not know what I was doing. And then afterwards, the elders talked to me. They said that I can't just give her the Lord's Supper. And I thought, oh, no, I made this commitment to baptize my children, and I've misunderstood baptism, right? The thing that made me decide to stop being a Baptist and start being actually like a full Reformed guy, yeah. I, I made a misstep somewhere. I must not have actually understood baptism. And then we started talking, and then I was like, no, no, I, I understood what baptism was. I think there's something else here that, that we're missing. Yeah. And, um, and the, the, when the elders pulled you aside, they had uh, referenced a few terms and people you'd never heard before. Yeah, yeah. They, they used Pado Communion, yep. and so, they also said Douglas Wilson. Yeah, so the first thing I did when I got home was I Googled <laughs> Pado Communion and Doug Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, and from that, I learned about Canon Press and a whole, you know, huge amount of resources that, that they offer. And so I started getting those books and reading those and hearing those arguments, you know. Right. Um, but it was, yeah, so about this point, we were a little bit into it. They were going to, they joined the PCA, I think within a year or so of this happening. Um, and the PCA has a whole bunch of rulings on this. The church this that you stuff. were at joined the Yeah, PCA. so it was independent. So at this point... Was, the, it, was it always called Christ the King? No, it was Hastings Reformed when it was independent. Okay. Um, and then when they joined the PCA, they, they renamed it Christ the King. Um, so when it was independent, it was like we could have worked through these things, just the elders and myself, and, and come to some kind of understanding or figured it out. Yeah. But then they joined the PCA... And it's like, well, now we're also dealing with the PCA is in, in this matter as well. Um, now, I've still got a bunch of other things that I'm working through and reading and learning this whole time. But this was kind of the, the big stopping block um, where it's like we, we continued on with them. We had other great things happen, back and forth learning and stuff. But it, it would sort of always just come back to this uh, this matter of sacramentology of I had thought that I learned that uh, I had gained a certain understanding of sacramentology and this was not theirs, you know. Um, and so, yeah, we were, it was four years after they joined the PCA by the time that that kind of came to, again, like another head, whereas like the decision has to be made. We either have to... Um, give up as far as like our convictions for how how this is in order to stay at peace with these guys or we've got to leave because we were at the end of the rope nothing else was going to change they had made their decisions um as far as that this is the way that it is you know either you got to deal with it or or you got to move on down the road kind of meaning you you cannot give the lord's supper to your children until they until they essentially jump through all these hoops, basically, of, of credible profession of faith, basically. Yeah, yeah, so the way that that, that ended was um, I had tried to get a better, I guess, respect for church order. I read Doug Wilson's book, Mother Kirk, and I had a lot in there about this. The weird thing is, is like, Doug Wilson gets a lot of, of uh, crap for for this stuff dividing churches up but in that book he basically says it's not a big enough deal to divide a church 
over. If, uh, if your children can okay. reach an age, do a profession of faith, and then come to the Lord's table, well and good, stay with them until they can do that, okay. right? Um, but I couldn't. Yeah. Like it, we did, uh, we had the Lord's Supper every single week, which is something that I think is is good. I I think it's more than good. It should. That's the way that normal it should be. Um, and so every single week, it was like they were denying my kids the Lord's Supper, and so it was it was burning me up. I couldn't I couldn't continue on like that. Um, and we had had a meeting, and we were trying to come to a kind of a compromise. The, my last kind of like olive branch was, you know, I read in this book, Mother Kirk, that uh, Robert Rayburn, Robert Rayburn, see, sure. he's uh, one of the guys that was actually in this debate in the 80s with the PCA. Um, he's still a, a pastor at uh, PCA church. He stuck with the PCA and uh, my pastor had said, hey, give him a call, talk to him. Maybe he can tell you, you know, the merits of sticking with the PCA throughout through this thing. And um, I said, well, OK, I don't think that a profession of faith is good. Right. I have conscience arguments why I, I don't want to do this. I would be willing to do this thing that I would consider to be a sin. I would say basically, hey, God, I'm going to do this thing. Please don't hold it against me. But I want to be at peace with these brothers. So I'll have my kids do this profession of faith um, if they would be willing to let children as young as five do the profession of faith come to the table. Um, and their response was, well, we'll start with the oldest. She's 11. No, she's 11 next month. And so at this point, she was just turning 10. Um, so we'd been going about this for, we hadn't been truly going back and forth, uh, the whole time because I, I took some time once I learned of these things that we weren't actually, um, discussing them. So it was about a year, year and a half where I was just working through this myself before, um, bringing it up to the church. But, um, so we had been having conversations for a good four years on it. And um, yeah, they said, so we'll, we'll let her come and do a profession of faith and then we'll see. I was like, well, I'm not going to go and have her do a profession of faith, um, which goes against what I've taught her baptism is, in order to take the Lord's Supper for you to then say, well, we're gonna wait until they're 10 or we're gonna wait until this. I said, this is, this is it, you guys have made a decision I'm not trying to change your decision. You said, we're, we're going to do the profession of faith. This is the thing. I said, okay, if that's the thing, as long as it's, um, as long as children are as young as five, I think we can, you know, we can still live together in peace and, and this can work out. And their response was, well, we'll do the oldest and then we'll see. I said, well, that's not, that's not going to solve it for me. Like I need to know because I've got to make other plans. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, so we gave them um, a letter to rescind our membership, and we uh, we knew kind of like the foils of it. But our basic plan was we'll just have church in our living room until we find some something else that will work out. Um, and if we just have to keep meeting in our living room and God grows that, then so be it. We'll just see what happens. But we knew that this was an untenable situation, and we needed to worship in accordance with the scripture and our conscience yeah. so okay. 
Okay. Good. Um, so, so that's what you did. You you send the you send the letter. You mm-hmm. start worshiping in your in your living room. Um, and I guess, I guess I could ask this this question now. But what? How did you go from there to coming out to Fort Collins? Yeah. So my my initial plan was. I'm just going to try to get the CREC to send a newly graduated minister from Greyfriars Hall. I try to get him to send somebody to Hastings to start a church. It's gonna um, like, hey, I'll be your guy. I'll be your your hustler. You know, like we'll be your first family. Just yeah. come out to Hastings, start this church, and we're gonna, you know be all in and try to help you with whatever we can to get this thing off the ground. I was asking people, um, hey, if if this happens, will you come and and worship with us? You know, so I was trying to get people to basically agree. One of the things I had talked to, um, I think it was Virgil Hurt, yeah. said that usually it's eight to 10 families before right. they'll even consider it. So I was trying to get my eight to 10 families, <laughs> okay. you know. I had people who agreed that they would give a certain amount of money uh, each week kind okay. of thing, where it's like, um, I'm not going to go to the church because I think you guys are a little bit crazy, but I like what you're doing. And so I'll give you this amount of money every week. Okay. So I had pledges. I had a couple of families that were like, yeah, if they start it, then we'll go to it. Um, I had some more people that said we would try it out, you know, which I think is kind of the wiser option. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't know what's going on, just saying that you're going to join this church is a little bit, <laughs> right. a little bit of a me move. <laughs> but um, yeah. And then. Uh, Virgil kind of, you know, leveled with me about Hastings not being a very strategic place. Um, he said he wouldn't, he wouldn't try to get a minister to come out, but if a minister of it chose it, they're not going to tell him that he can't, you know? So like if somebody, um, if somebody grew up in the area and they decided to move out there, that would be great. And, um, but as far as he knew, there wasn't anybody that was like that. Um, I'm not sure if it was him or somebody else that talked about, well, why don't you just go to Greyfriars yourself and then come back and start the church? This seems like a passion of yours. And I considered that for, for quite some time. I even started working on the, um, the list of materials, things you needed to have these letters and all of this. Yeah. Um, and so then I had a new plan. I'm just going to add everybody that's in Greyfriars on Facebook, and I'm just going to ask them to come to Hastings. <laughs> and so I was going down this list of people that were currently in Greyfriars or just uh, graduated Greyfriars when uh, Facebook suggested that I friend you on Facebook. Um, you know, we had had enough mutual friends and you also went to Greyfriars. So I guess Facebook said, hey, you might want to be friends with this guy. Like it was catching on. Hey, you're adding this particular group of people. (laughs) Here's some other ones. And so I clicked on your profile. You said, I am but a humble farmer tending to my memes. And I was like a Greyfriars grad that writes memes. (laughs) Yes, please. (laughs) And um, yeah, I think I trolled your page for like two weeks. <laughs> Not sure what you thought about that, but I was trying to like comment on every meme, something just to kind of like get you talking. At that, um, at that point, there's so many randos friending me and, stuff <laughs> and saying stuff that it was just part of the noise. I, I think I said something about Santa Claus being pagan. That was the most interaction I got out oh, of you. Okay. <laughs> 
Um, but eventually. But eventually you were online, it was like 2.30 in the morning, yeah. and so there wasn't a whole lot of people. Um, I said, hey, you wanna have a phone call? I would like to talk to you. And you actually called me, which is not normal for, <laughs> I offer people online to talk to me on the phone all the time, because <laughs> I'd rather have a, a conversation where they can hear my voice yeah. than typing it. And almost no one actually calls me. And you're, because and you're, you're driving often. Yes, yeah. yeah. And so I was, I think I was in Nebraska or Wyoming or something. It's like wide open road, nothing going on. It's the middle of the night. Um, you give me a phone call and yeah, we started hitting it off. Um, at that point, I was not, I didn't have it in my head, like considering that I was going to move out to you. I think I was still trying to convince you to come out to Hastings. You told me what you guys were doing. Um, and then I think at some point you did the obligatory adulterous remarriage plug. Yeah. And that was another one of those questions that like, people bring these things up and then I take it as a personal challenge. Well, now I've got to figure out about this thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and I, so I guess two kind of story arcs that I think culminate here mm -hmm. would be what you have had already been doing with your with your sister. Yeah. And then our conversations with divorce and remarriage and how that kind of yeah. culminates. Yeah. So that was one of the prickly things about all of uh, my Christian friends that um, my sister came out uh, and she actually wanted to marry this this girl they did end up getting married eventually but when she made it public you know we had people have their suspicions and things like that but nobody really i guess pressed her for an answer kind of thing but um she did come out publicly that they were in a relationship together and um you know i had I had read through First Corinthians five, and so I said, "Well, this is this looks exactly like this situation. Why isn't this being done?" She's a Christian. Yeah, yeah, she's a baptized Christian. She's going to a church down there. She was helping out with a children's ministry kind of thing, and um, so I was like, "Well, she has the name of brother, right? She's yeah. been baptized in the triune name, and she's in this unrepentant sexual morality to the point where she's actually proud of it. She says it's not sin." And that seems to be the context of what's happening in 1 Corinthians 5. So why aren't we doing what Paul tells us to do in this situation? And I got all the typical answers of, you know, well, it's not loving and all of this. Which for for for, the, for people who aren't familiar, yeah. what does Paul tell us to do? Yeah, so he says not to associate. Um, he says it like six different ways. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he says to not keep company with them, yeah. not to associate with them, not to even eat with them, purge the evil one from among you. Yeah. Um, he gives the little leaven, leaven's a whole lump, which I know I understand it's like a thing that we just kind of say over and over and over again, but if you're thinking about the leaven as something that you don't want, you have to cut off that piece of leaven from the lump in order for the whole lump not to be leavened. Yeah, um, yeah. so, um, and, and this was a really hard time because it was like everybody was against us. There wasn't anybody that was like our confidant in this where they're like, yeah, you're doing the right thing or, you know, stay strong. Um, it was everybody everybody that we talked to so, and how yeah yeah okay that's how was how was it for you sarah was it pretty 
was it pretty clear in scripture or was it i mean there's obviously an element of difficulty even if you're convinced of it but what was that like for you um well probably because it wasn't my sister yeah i was just like okay this is what you this is what you think this is what we're gonna do there was there were a few nights that i spent crying about it but yeah like i wasn't like pushing back on it so you you caleb are Mm -hmm. are implementing what paul is saying yeah and your family well at first we were just bringing it up so what sarah said was like the reformed church was on board with it um so I guess, yeah, the category of people I was talking about with like nobody, I'm talking about all of the Christians that we grew up with yeah. in our original church, all of our family members, um, like our social circle, um, they, they all reacted horribly to it. They're the ones that I originally brought it up with. I wasn't actually doing anything yet. I was just saying, this is what the Bible says. Shouldn't we be doing this? Yeah. And they're like, no. Um, when I did bring, eventually bring it up to the church, I'm not sure exactly how that happened because, again, timelines are really bad for me. But there was, yeah, there was um, a lady that went to the church. Or her husband went to the church, and sometimes she attended with him. And this lady was a friend with my mom. And so somehow it got, the question and everything got brought up. And so we did sit down with the pastor and talk through this thing where it's like, yeah, um, their church should be the one that's excommunicating them. You know, we live in a, in a time where we're still interacting with people that have moved away. You know, we, we've got telephones, we've got airplanes. So we still have relationships with these people, even though they're, they're not locally, you know, with us in our church. Yeah. So the church can't discipline them like it says to in First Corinthians 5. But um, we looked at it and it said, well, it says basically to the congregation and none of you associate with this person. And so we can't follow the first part, but does that mean that we don't follow the second part where it says, and don't associate with them? I understand there's this big thing about authority and whether or not somebody could be, um, you know, uh, somebody should, could be disassociating with somebody that they shouldn't be because they misunderstand a thing. And that's fine. You know, things are messy. Yeah. You know, we, we've got to just do what we can do. Right. And so we came to the point eventually where we're like, no, this is the right thing. And then we actually did, um, we did uh, try to set up like a time where we could talk her through this and say, you know, if you don't repent of this, then we'll have to disassociate with you. But uh, my mom weaseled through there and warned her about it. And so they never had that conversation. They just left and wouldn't talk to us about oh, it. Wow. Um, so yeah, she like ran interference. Oh, Caleb's going to talk to you about this thing. And that warned him off so that we never got to have that conversation of you got to repent this thing in person. We ended up having to have it over text messaging because they refused to actually talk to us. So it's a big messy thing. It's a lot of times I wish that, um, like I had been further along, I could have gone about it a little bit more wisely at that time. I was still assuming my mom was on my side Mm -hmm. of the thing. Um, I would have been a little bit more shrewd and not told her what was going on. Um, but yeah, so it was, it was a big mess. And there were times too, like that pressure made us kind of backslide to it. It was a couple of years into it. Yeah. We ended up going down to Florida and my mom wanted to invite my sister and she was framing it like it was an opportunity for us to actually have the face-to-face conversations. And so we invited her to come with us to uh, Universal to um, talk things through. 
and they just avoided the conversation the whole time that way. They just wanted to have a fun time. They just wanted her to be able to see the kids and stuff. Um, and the whole time, I basically felt like I was gonna throw up. Like it was really wrenching me. Um, and I was like, well, never again, like this isn't good. It confuses her because now she's acting yeah. like things are okay. Um, and my mom is, is talking back and forth, doing some kind of weird telephone game where she's changing things before it gets through there. And that's causing more confusion. It's like, no, um, I would like to be on the point where it's like, we could still be working through these things and talking about these things. But in order for everything to be cut and clear, I need to just be like, no, nothing. You you repent and, and we'll be okay, we'll be reconciled. If not, then absolutely nothing. We're not having anything to do with you. We don't even want to, we don't want to see you. We don't want to greet you. Like if the first words aren't like, I want to actually talk about the thing, then it's, then it's nothing. Right. So. Um, okay. Yeah. So, so you're, you're doing this thing, which, um, I mean, it, it's so clear in scripture that you should do, but many Christians are already not doing that. Yeah. Like it's, a, and then they attack people that, that want right. to, and they yeah. attack people who do. And so, and then you and I start having more conversations. Um, uh, I remember you, um, um, kind of in more of the cultural conversations that we had, of course, the obligatory, it's like, well, here's something we need to do before yeah. we start going down the cultural route or something that we need to succeed in the cultural route. That was uh, the first, the first time that you impressed me was when you brought it up and you said, yeah, well, it's like, it's good that you're doing this with your sister, but homosexuality is actually further down the road. Yeah. You know, adultery comes way before homosexuality. And I was like, this guy's got a head on his shoulders. <laughs> yeah. So kind of like, it, uh, it, my ears perked up where like I was like, I, this guy has something that I need to learn from this guy. Like it was just very clear, concise, to the point uh, conversation. And I just really appreciated that. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so I eventually, I don't remember if I sent it or you bought it, but you eventually read Contra Moon of Swagger. Yeah, you uh, mentioned it. You said you would send me one. I said, it's all right, I'll buy it. I bought it. I didn't wait for Amazon to get it to me. I also got it on Kindle. I read through the whole thing, um, I think the next day. <laughs> yeah, it was fast. And then I sent you a message. Yeah. I said, I've been really inconsistent on this. Thank you for pointing, <laughs> bringing it up to my attention. Because we had, we had gone and we had told people who were divorcing their spouse and then they were like, you know, in a relationship or going to get married. We would point that out. Right. We would say, hey, no, that's adultery. You can't get remarried. Yeah. But once somebody already was remarried, we just wouldn't ever talk about it or bring it up. It was just like that. That was off limits. I think that was a little bit from that's John Piper's view. And so we still had some yeah. of that working out. But on the front end of it, of course, we were against adultery. And we had read those verses and we had discussed those verses saying, yeah, you can't uh, divorce your spouse and then go marry another person. That's adultery. Yeah. You know, especially if we were at that person's wedding, we felt it was our responsibility to tell them, no, be reconciled to your spouse. You can't marry somebody else. Yeah but we were very inconsistent with the application. We hadn't like pushed it out into all the corners and really thought through it. It was just one of those things where it's like, here's another Bible verse that other people aren't, aren't following yeah. kind of thing. And so, yeah. Um, 
I I really liked really liked the book. I really liked that you had pointed out something where I anytime that somebody says, "Hey, this is something," and I've been inconsistent with it or just incorrect with it. I try to be very appreciative of that because that's how we how we learn. Yeah. The normal reaction is to be like, well, how dare you say that I'm wrong about this thing? Right. And because I've gotten that so much, I try making it a point not to do that. Yeah. But um, to the point where, yeah, when, when there's somebody that has clearly thought something through more than me and they point out my inconsistencies, that's like gold to me. So yeah. I was like... You know, I really, really liked it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was that. I remember the the message. I was I was kind of floored because that's never that's never the response that I get from people. Um, but that's a I mean, that's exactly the kind of you are exactly the kind of person. I mean, it's written for a whole host of people, but for people who are wanting to fight Christian men who are wanting to fight and have done a lot of uh, good things for the kingdom. It's like, let's keep fighting, you know, and. And for just that succinct, like, hey, I've been inconsistent on this. Thanks for pointing it out. <laughs> that was that was great. That was great uh, for me, and and it was, uh, and then uh, great for what's happened since. Um, but yeah, we had uh, so we we had talked, started developing a, a, a friendship, and I was going. We were all going out to Indiana, and I knew you were meeting in the home. And I had asked to uh, go meet with you guys um, just to kind of like signal my solidarity with what you guys were doing. And then you guys wound up uh, coming down and meeting up with us and we had a service. And then um, if you would just kind of want to, if you want to kind of talk about what happened after that and just kind of the conviction to move out to Fort Collins and just the reasons for it. Um, yeah. 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 So I think when we talked that first night, you had said something about like you asked us where we lived and then you had mentioned kind of as an aside that you were going to be going to Indiana um, to baptize your nephew. And it had been our kind of like one of our hobbies to go and witness people's baptisms. Yeah. And so I had already mentioned to Sarah, I said, you know, hey, it would, wouldn't it be great if we could go down to Indiana and, uh, and meet these guys and, and witness a baptism. It would be fantastic. That's what I would like to do on a, on a vacation, you know? Yeah. And, um, and then you had, you messaged me saying that you would drive up to Michigan, that maybe the whole family wouldn't come, but that at least you would drive up. Um, and that at once made me very nervous that that would actually happen. Cause I didn't want you to listen to me <laughs> preach. And then also I was, I was like, well, He's thinking along these same lines, you know. Yeah, I'll just ask him because I didn't want to intrude. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, can you guys are flying out to see family? Can we just come and hang out with you guys? <laughs> so I, I kind of saw that as an open door to to try to invite myself to Indiana. Um, yeah, and we just we planned to go down there. Um, we got to worship with you guys on Sunday. Uh, meet your brother from Indiana, which was fantastic. Um, when we were out having steak the night before, I remember your brother had said something about, um, he's kind of pointing out things about my personality. <laughs> it was like, ah, oh, Kale's the kind of guy is next thing you know, he's just going to like move out to Fort Collins or something. And that sort of planted that seed in my head of, um, I was still in the 
track of maybe this guy will come to Michigan and plant a church in Hastings. And um, I think that was the first time that that option sort of came up in my head because I never thought that I'd move to Colorado. Yeah. You know, <laughs> thought maybe I'd move into the mountains of South Dakota or Wyoming yeah. or Montana, somewhere where I could go and hide from all the crazies. Right. Right. Um, and yeah, so that kind of like stuck. It was working through uh, the back burner during the whole thing, especially during the worship service. I was kind of watching it as far as thinking, is this something that I could, it, like if this was my every week, is this something that I could uh, send to and bring my kids up with? Um, unbeknownst to you. <laughs> um, yeah, and there were just, all, you know, all of the fun little things that, that God puts into um, kind of like ingratiate you to an idea of a place that he's leading you to. Silly story is that I, since we started preaching in the living room, I'd given my kids a kiss after the sermon every single week. Oh, yeah. And then you brought chocolate kisses yeah, yeah. on right. the way down to Indiana. Right. They're like, are we going to have to kiss this guy after he <laughs> preaches? And then you had chocolate kisses and they thought that you were in on it. They were like, he did bring us a kiss. They thought that I had told you about that and that this was a kind of like a joke. Well, yeah. I won't give them a, a physical kiss but I'll give him a chocolate right. kiss kind of thing just those nice little fun things that you know God sprinkles along the way to make life exciting yeah. <laughs> gets you a little bit more prepared to go the way that he wants you to right. um, yeah and then uh, it was just immediately meeting you guys there was a, a kinship in the spirit we had always been very leery about who we let be alone with the kids we were um, just things from our past where we that was one of the things and we realized we didn't have any kind of apprehension with you guys as soon as we met you guys we were just like yeah you know you know full full privileges being with the kids whatever and that was just so weird for us to to feel that um instant amount of trust with somebody else yeah. um bunch of other things but basically on the way back home uh, was the first time that I mentioned to Sarah, I was like, yeah, we'll probably end up moving to Fort Collins. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a really great time. Um, and, uh, yeah, we were we were equally excited. But uh, if you kind of want to maybe shift and yeah. talk about some of the more, like, nitty-gritty difficult things that are happening at this time. Yeah, so, um, you know, we love our family. We want them to go to heaven. We, um, Bible says that adulterers don't inherit the kingdom of God, and we don't want that for them. So um, I am not satisfied being a guy that is just a hearer of the word. And so when I read your book and I realized and repented of my inconsistency, I started going through the process of bringing it up to all their attention. My parents are divorced. They're both remarried. Sarah's actually the product of a remarried uh, marriage. My grandparents are, are both divorced and remarried, you know, mm -hmm. um, and all Christians and all Christians. Um, though one exception of people that we were kind of hanging out with doing things with would be my mom's parents. Um, I don't actually know if they're baptized. I assume that they're baptized, but they're still married to each other. Oh, okay. They did get divorced, but then they got back together. Um, and so we didn't bring up the conversation with them at first simply because it didn't apply to them directly. It eventually got brought up to them because all of their daughters are 
divorced and remarried. But um, I was just trying to work through like my immediate family. I do remember having one conversation with you because at this point I'm still, anytime that I come near Fort Collins, you were driving up and picking me up and we were hanging out. Okay. Um, I remember one conversation with you where, where I was kind of talking about this, where I expressed my desire to move out to Fort Collins to, to join with you guys. And um, I said, but you know, if people in my family, especially like if my dad was to repent, I would want to stay and, and work through that with them. Um, that um, I, would, I would feel like it was my responsibility as the, the message bearer, I'm the guy that brought this up, to, to stick it out and keep doing church in the living room and just have this kind of like uh, kinship from a distance with you guys. We're kind of doing the same thing in different places. Yeah. Um, but it didn't go that way. It got really ugly. Um, it's kind of a, like just a messy, messy brawl. Tried to keep, you know, a level head and walk through everything. But it's just, yeah, it's one thing after another. And then everybody that you've talked to at one point, like teams up together. Yeah. And then they're all saying the exact same argument back to you. It's like, you guys have been talking. Right. <laughs> it just... Um, uh, yeah, it all went downhill really quickly. Um, with my sister, it was years yeah. before going through this stuff. It was very rapid fire when we brought this up. It was instant rejection, not just like, well, okay, well, let's work through this. What does this word homosexuality mean kind of thing? All of these categories had been worked out through the time of talking to my sister. Mm -hmm. So they all were basically, um, they all knew what the conclusion was going to be. And so when I said, you know, that it's an adulterous marriage, instantly everybody was like, so if we don't divorce, you're just not going to have anything to do with us. So it saved a lot of time, but it was also very vicious and quick. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so that just to, just to be clear, this is a time where you're calling these people, your immediate family, because you love them yeah. to repentance, right. to follow Jesus, to yeah. forsake their sin. And they, and you were met with, I'm not going to repent of this. I'm not interested. It was in mostly, this isn't sin. This isn't sin. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there were a couple, well, if it was sin, it was only sin at the beginning. It's not sin now. Um, but yeah, it was, I have nothing to repent of. Yeah. You know, mind your own business okay. kind of thing. I don't think that there was anybody that like her mom said something along the lines of, yeah, well, I can't say anything against that. The Bible seems pretty clear on this. Yeah. That was the closest that we got to like an admission of that it's sin, but I'm not going to do anything about it. Yeah. It was more like a, well, yeah, I can see that, but what am I supposed to do with it? She's not really um, affirming that it is continual adultery, just that I shouldn't have done this thing that I did do, but now what am yeah. I going to do? I'm not going to divorce you know, my husband, the father of my daughter and yeah. all of this stuff. So, um, but everybody else, it was a very clear, I have nothing to repent of. How dare you kind of stance. And Sarah, this is obviously, a, a, again, another difficult um, thing. What are, what's going through your mind during this? What, what's happening on your end? Very full spectrum. At first I was very, very mad. Like, at you in particular. <laughs> it's like, you were like bringing this up. So I'm like, 
directing all of that anger towards you because I, I couldn't direct it at him because yeah. that just causes different problems. Right. And like everything, I'm just mad at you. Didn't even want to read the book. Yeah. But like, finally, finally came around to it. Still kind of struggling. Yeah, I was trying to be like when <laughs> I first brought it up like, to Sarah. I was like. I realize that this affects everything. Our whole life will be on fire. So I'm going to be patient here. I'm going to go slowly. But like, there just wasn't any slow about it. I couldn't control the pace of any of this stuff. It just kept going. And so I I was kind of feeling bad about it because I was like, I told her I would give time. Like I brought it up, I think, with her parents last yeah. because I was trying to, but it was just got so out of control so quickly. You can't just have personal conversations with people anymore. Right. You know, they're all messaging each other. And can you believe he said the worst things? Yeah. And so it, it, it wasn't, I wasn't able to give her the time that I wanted to give her to get on board. Yeah. So. Yeah. Fortunately, yeah. the, couple of years before that God had get, been kind of preparing yeah. me for this kind of like right fall just the kind of books that I'd been reading and listening to and which like, which had been a lot of reform stuff and yeah a lot of uh Rachel Jankovic mm -hmm. Doug Wilson's mm -hmm. daughter like yeah. her book you who had a huge impact on me and like her podcast and all the things that they're saying about like you need to obey Christ and this yeah these things and so they yeah. really and then, you know, losing our dog is <laughs> kind of a silly thing, but like we, the dog died and then two weeks later we had a baby. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I was already prepared to that kind of loss. Okay. And so we are kind of, I think the hardest was probably like that month mm -hmm. when we're like, yes, we're moving. And then we had to wait to move. Yeah. Yeah. Like the waiting and like still being there. I'm like, I don't want to be here anymore. Yeah. It might be a little bit too personal for you, but... <laughs> when the the day that we decided like this was a thing we had to um have the confrontation with her parents um she cried a lot yeah yeah i spent like days on the bathroom floor like not able to breathe i was crying so hard yeah gave myself a black eye yeah so all right i remember that yeah. So you guys make the decision to come out. Um, I guess, uh, what advice would you give to people going through similar situations, coming to similar convictions, or perhaps kind of conservative, but haven't really considered uh, how divorce and remarriage and the church and everything um, in their own family affects things. What would you say, um, Sarah, if you want to start kind of like advice for women, particularly in relation to their husbands mm -hmm. um, and anything else you want to throw out? Yeah, like as far as women, like if they're married, they need to listen to their husbands. They need to, you know, if they see it first, they need to bring it to him and like he needs to be directing that and a lot of women kind of just need to get over themselves yeah <laughs> just like to we like to think that we are kind of in charge especially when there's a lot of kids and we kind of like do all the things throughout the day and it's very easy to fall into that like well I know what's happening in the household so I'm in charge yeah but to give that let him be I'll let him, but 
just give it up. You feel there's protection, comfort in that, in, in following your husband, submitting yeah. to him in that way? Yeah, for sure. It's like I feel safe in him. When he went over to talk to my parents, I'm like, this is, you know, this is a big deal. But I have this, like, piece of I know he is going to handle this in a godly way. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, I felt comfort as he went to talk to them. Yeah. Caleb, do you have any? I'll keep giving advice to women if they're still on that subject. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've found that Christian women will once make the decision, my husband is the head of my household, and I'm going to submit to him. Yeah. And then they've got this category in their heads, well, that's done. Yeah. It's like, no, that's a, you have to do that all the time. You can't just have this one time where you're like, yeah, I believe that I should be submitting to my husband and then assume that you're actually doing that each day. Yeah. Like it's something that has to be refreshed and and reconsidered and and like present in your mind. You can't just, um, because I decided Mm -hmm. to be a submissive wife. Now I am a submissive wife. Um, I think that's a weird thing that we, we end up falling in as far as like, you know, our our conservative groups kind of thing. Um, As far as guys go, um, yeah, it's (laughs) the things that you think you're responsible for are very small compared to the things that you are actually responsible for. Um, Do not let your family be cursed because you are a coward. Mm -hmm. Like you... Um, are responsible to make sure that your children are worshiping with godly people, that they're not in communion with adulterers. You're responsible that they're getting the sacraments, that they're getting discipled, they're being taught, they're being catechized. Um, There's just so many things that go into it. And we often decide that we're going to go to this place because this is the best job, this is the best career move. And that is disordered as far as your affections go. Your number one priority is to Christ, to be among the people of God, to be being discipled, to be discipling Christians and your job, your house, all of those other things come after that. Um, so yeah, I guess my, my number one exi- advice would be just to be, you know, radically discipled. Don't don't make this just a pastime or a thing that you add to it. Make your whole life about Christ, about obeying Christ. Um, yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> pretty much it. Yeah, that's good. Uh, any like particular kinds of advice for broaching the subject with your family and friends? <sighs> um, it's not going to go the way that you think it's going to go. It's going to be messy. You have to embrace the suck. Like, yeah. just, just know that they're going to misunderstand you. They're going to purposefully slander you. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not going to be this thing where you're like, you bring up this carefully buttoned up doctrine and you're like, hey, see how logically consistent this is? Yeah. That's, that's not going to do it. Um, I honestly think that the way that people are going to be convinced is over a long term of people doing this correctly, um, seeing the fruit of it. When, when you see an entire congregation of people who are committed to honoring the marriage bed and who have children that are growing up inside of this atmosphere, that's probably going to be the most convincing thing. Yeah. Bringing somebody a logical argument with bullet points just 
doesn't convince people that love their sin. Um, you just do your best and then, you know, you, you pray that God will do the work that needs to get done, that, that his will will happen. And then you just have to be satisfied that it did. Um, you can't sit there and be like, oh, well, what if I had said this? Oh, well, what if I had yeah. done this? No, you just do it. And then if something else comes up and you're in a place where you can bring up the new thing, do that and then move on. You just have to be obedient and do what you're supposed to do. You can't be sitting here considering, oh, well, what if they think this? What if they do this? What if they take it the wrong way? That's that way it lies madness. Yeah. So, yeah, that's good. So you guys have been here since about February or March. How has your time been since being here? You want to answer it in like two parts, be like the actual Fort Collins-ness and then the, <laughs> the church life. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, as far as like being in Fort Collins, I, I never thought I would like to be in the city, um, but it's not terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, do, I like the things are very close. It's beautiful here We've got the mountains right out there love that yeah kids love making friends which is something that was never really we had friends but it was very like controlled they wouldn't have kids showing up at our door every single right. day right so that's it's different and like hard to adjust to but at the same time like in the best way and then you know i love the shannons i love this family i love you guys I love being here and this like there's like a peace just knowing that we are worshiping and I think like I've never trusted a woman like I trust Alyssa so <laughs> yeah Alyssa is uh, my sister for uh, the viewers yeah, and she's amazing. the feeling is mutual <laughs> we love the lost stones as well so um, yeah that's that's something we've talked about uh, my sister's behind the camera but uh, <laughs> Um, even before you guys came out here, we lived, we lived in an apartment complex and it was just chaos. It's always chaos. People bickering and fighting and the cops showing up and it was just me, my sister and my dad. And, um, we've just, we've lived together for years and have had just, we've dwelled together in unity and peace, you know, and, yeah. So, and having you guys come, it's been the same thing. And so it's been a huge blessing. So, yeah. Yeah. I would say Fort Collins is the only city that I could probably love. Yeah. I, I like, I do love Fort Collins in a way already, yeah. but it's a different thing. Like I, I like the country. I like wide open spaces. I like being able to do whatever you want to do on your property. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I like livestock. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and Fort Collins is this very unique blend of wilderness and city. Yeah. Like it's not skyscrapers and concrete all over the place and a bunch of smog. Right. It's like, yeah, you go this way and you're in the wilderness. You know, you've got all these walking and bike paths. It's, it's very outdoorsy as far as cities go. The, the amount of people that are here and the amount of outdoorsy things and greenery everywhere is a very nice blend. And so I've really enjoyed Fort Collins specifically as a place. 
Um, a lot of that is probably colored just by how much I love you guys. <laughs> I probably wouldn't have given it a shot if it wasn't for you guys. I would have given it the chance that it deserved. But um, I mean, and the weather is really nice. Um, we we do like like our rain clouds and stormy droopy weather sometimes. But when you live in it, you don't realize like how uh how deprived of sunshine you actually are yeah. and it's just very pleasant here all the time um a little bit warmer than my michigan blood is used to but i i keep being told that i'll acclimate so <laughs> um and then yeah just having church um this is uh this is the first time where there wasn't something just stuck in my craw i guess that like kept being brought up when when worshiping with God's people. Um, I know it sounds a little bit weird to be nitpicky about like uh, having your children come to the sacraments, you know, um, or like how many psalms versus hymns you sing, or is it high liturgy versus low liturgy thing? And I mean, coming from like a Puritan Presbyterian-y thing where it's like, worship in the cardboard box, you know, if God doesn't show up, then we have nothing kind of mentality to this, this high liturgy thing. Um, I probably wouldn't have just picked it for myself, but, um, yeah, I find it beautiful. I find it edifying. There isn't anything where I'm like, oh, well, this thing is really bothering me all the time. And I, I lived like that for a long, long time. Um, so I've really enjoyed it. I, you know, instant kinship with you guys is a, a fantastic blessing. I'm very thankful that God did that. Um, and yeah, I'm, I, I'm a firm believer that men need some kind of Michigan, like a large task, something to accomplish giants to slay. Yeah. And, um, I mean, Fort Collins has everything so it's got giants to slay it's got faithful members that aren't going to bring curses onto your family and sunshine it's great (laughs) yes plenty of giants out here to slay um and i would i would also add like i mean one of the highlights of my week it's kind of interesting like i don't have any i don't have any physical children um my sister doesn't have any physical children uh and um, I came to the Pedo communion position as a bachelor, just like, yeah. this is, this is what makes the most sense to me. And, um, and that is the highlight of my week is being able to give the sacrament to little children. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, it really is great. Um, and so that's kind of a, it's a, it's a funny thing that God does brings this family with, with a lot of children to these uh, eunuchs, basically. <laughs> and, and now it feels like we have children, you know, where yeah. it's uh, um, uh, the family of God, you know, and. Um, yeah, when, when we're told that if you give up, you know, spouses and family and lands in this life, they, it'll be returned to you in this life and in the next. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I had to give up a lot of family but you know we've we've been given back family in you guys, yeah. and we hope that that grows and that we'll have even more family and kids will have cousins and all of these things yeah. in the church. Um, 
And so, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to provide you with six kids and <laughs> hopefully more are coming, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, okay, you already kind of touched on it, but if we just kind of want to end with, um, we're all post-millennialists here and we all, yeah. we all are about hope. So what are your hopes going forward? Yeah, so there's like big time, I might not live to see it hope. And then there's like, yeah. what I would think is more like reasonable in my time hopes. Yeah. So like big time, maybe will happen after I die hope. I would like Fort Collins to be a, a Christian sanctuary city. <laughs> like, you know, we, we follow God's laws here. We tell, you know, the state government and the federal government, look, we got to obey God and not men. Yeah. And so we're going to we like have a full on uh, theonomic society inside of Fort Collins yeah. um, that we would kind of like absorb all of the churches around us um that the potency of our worship would uh would evaporate anything else and you're like oh man i i didn't even know i wasn't worshiping god like that's like kind of like um uh, yeah just we we've been calling ourselves reformed catholic right yeah. and so there's a part of that where there is this ecumenicism yeah. Um, where we accept the baptism of all of these other Christian denominations. But I think that we are in a unique position where um, unless you are like really, really disgusted by my two-year-old taking the Lord's Supper, like we can basically have anybody come and worship with us. Mm -hmm. um, if you, if you are a pedo Baptist, you can't worship in a Baptist church. Right. They won't baptize your children. Right. But if you're a Baptist, as long as you aren't like grossed out by children being baptized, you can worship in a pedo Baptist church. And we basically have that position for all of the things where pretty much anybody could come and worship with us, yeah. you know, and we would accept them as a brother in Christ. And so I think we're in a unique position to do that where we, um, not necessarily like taking over the churches, but like that we develop these relationships and we get into a larger communion together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we can bring like this, this very potent form of worship to all of Fort Collins. Um, and that that would change, you know, the entire culture of this city. I, th I would like people to be like, <laughs> Fort Collins, oh, that's that place, yeah. you know? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Where we're on certain lists that that uh, that certain people warn others about. Yeah, like so, yeah, you can't go to Fort Collins right. because they're the place. You can't buy anything on Sunday. You know, yeah, like, right. yeah. <laughs> you can't go to Fort Collins because you know they they uh, yeah all of these little bywords of things that are, there used to be just regular Christian things, right? Like um, they're like Fort Collins. That's the patriarchy. Right. That's what we're all trying to smash. Right. You know, those kinds of uh, epithets of just normal, basic Christian yes. things. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then reasonable hope. Reasonable hopes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just uh, we're we're in this specific neighborhood here. Yeah. You know, we've we've got a lot of kids coming around uh, that our kids are making friends with. Um, just a, a reasonable hope, I would say, would be like a beautiful building that we could gather up all of these kind of like spiritually orphaned children into, um, that we would get other men moving out here that wanted to join in this fight, um, that, uh, yeah, we would basically raise up a generation of these 
<laughs> people would call stubborn, like world-changing people, where they're so committed to Christ and uh, seeing the Great Commission fulfilled yeah. that um, you know everything else would be a distant second yeah. for them. And so we uh, we just build up that kind of momentum. If you had used the the imagery of you know building up the altar and pouring water on the altar and waiting for God to come down and consume it. Yeah. Like, um, I don't need to see all of the radical change implemented. Um, I'm satisfied with seeing the buildup. Right. Like just seeing how many um, people are, are being staged for the yeah. next part. Yeah. Like even that is just really, really um, invigorating right. to Having me. the long view, it's, it's an act of faith to see that too. You know, mm -hmm. your kid... Uh, your children, your children's children. It's like, keep building that altar, keep pouring that water on, and I fully expect fire to come down from heaven. Yeah, I, you know? yeah that's good. Um, okay. Uh, well, uh, is, there, is there anything else that you guys want to share? Anything that's pressing uh, before we wrap it up? Okay. I think so. Great. Well, thanks for... Uh, Sharon, what the Lord's done in your life. It's been awesome to be part of it, and hopefully um, the Spirit will use it to uh, edify those who have been watching it and, and become brave, become courageous, particularly men, and, uh, and follow your example and what you've, you've done. And um, yeah, so thanks again. And uh, all right. <laughs> I guess that's Guys, it. I love you too. <laughs>